uh, a month ago, we covered the general drift of the um, Beatitudes. But this morning, I want to go back and look at the third verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are many today who claim that the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount as a whole doesn't apply to the Christian church today. They argue that its precepts are not livable today and that they're irrelevant. For argument's sake, they say they quote verses such as verse 29 of chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Or verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Or verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, nor uh, for it is God's throne. They argue that such verses apply to a different age and a different culture. It was all right for them back then to cut off an arm or take an eye out or whatever. It doesn't apply to us today. But the thrust of the whole Sermon on the Mount itself is is quite against such a literal interpretation of Scripture. For argument's sake, in Chapter 5 again in verses 21 through to about the verse 48 it goes. Uh, The Lord starts to tell them how to interpret the Ten Commandments. Listen to it in verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. The Jews took a literal interpretation of it. But listen to Jesus' interpretation of it. We've just heard the Jewish interpretation of one of the Ten Commandments. Now listen to Jesus' interpretation of it. But Jesus in verse 22 says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. And we could go on. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, verse 27. Jesus' interpretation of that, the, the, the Ten Commandment law, says, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in the heart. You see, Jesus is, so, in a sense, don't misunderstand me, he, he's not saying that physical, literal murder or the act of committing adultery is the issue. He's saying the issue is the condition of the heart in the first place that allows one to be angry with someone to their hurt. What is it in the heart that allows one to leave his wife and join himself to another? The one who looks sideways at another woman or another man, Uh, a woman looking at a man, let me get that clear, has already committed the act of adultery in the heart. And that's what the Lord is on about. 
But the Jews and the Jewish Christians in Jesus' time began to interpret the law always in a very literal manner. And when we interpret the law in a literal manner, away from its basic precepts, then we run into trouble and we become dictatorial. We become judgmental. Uh, Many, many years ago, (coughs) um, 20 years before I got there in my congregation on the Mornington Peninsula, there was a gentleman in the congregation who observed the length of women's dress and when he decided, dresses, when he decided they were too short, he told them. When a woman didn't wear a hat into church, he told them. When he thought a man's hair was too long, he told them. What was he doing? Putting a literal interpretation on the law of God. But you see, that's not the gospel. He also taught the people that mental illness, such as depression and what have you, shouldn't be in a Christian church if it is the person with it and suffering with it is not a Christian. After a number of years, that man developed Alzheimer's. It's tragic. Where would his faith, what what would his faith have taught him? Nowhere in the scriptures are we promised immunity from disease and disorder. The thrust of the, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole of it, Jesus is trying to Remove the error in interpretation of the law or the word of God. He battled uh, people uh, spiritually and figuratively. You know, in John chapter 2, verse 19, there's an example of it there. John chapter 2 and verse 19 and 20. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, here's the literal uh, interpretation. The Jews said, it's been taken, it's, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. Jesus was struggling with people to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. can also look at John chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 and Jesus answered and said to him assuredly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus says Lord how can a man be born when he's old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born you see the literalness Jesus is concerned primarily with the condition of our hearts. Jesus didn't always follow the literal precepts, precepts taken literally, uh, for argument's sake, in verse 34 of chapter 5. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by 
for it is God's throne. And then if we look at chapter 26, Matthew 26, we see Jesus doing something a little different. Chapter 26, verse 63 and 64. This is uh, at his trial and Jesus, uh, we're told, Jesus kept silent in verse 63. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. What's Jesus do? Under oath, he answers the question. But back in the chapter, chapter 5, he says, don't make an oath. What did he say? It is, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus didn't always take a literal interpretation. But he kept the law. He kept it jot and tittle. That we might live through him. And so we must understand these precepts that are set out here in these uh, few Beatitudes and in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We ought to apply uh, to our fundamental conduct, just as Jesus did, and we need to do it every day. Do not think that I came to destroy the law, excuse me, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Today, the Christian is called the salt of the earth, the light of the world, verses 13 and 14 of this particular chapter. What the Lord is concerned about here primarily is the condition of our soul, its character, its standing before the throne of God. As in Adam all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's the declared condition of every human child ever conceived. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? He's speaking here of the poverty of our spirit, of the human spirit. The world's attitude is, blessed are the rich. Blessed are the famous. Blessed are the popular. But you see, the world doesn't like to mourn. It doesn't like guilt. It doesn't like sorrow. And yet Jesus goes on to, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sad. And yet our world would push us and encourage us to seek fame and to find fortune. And having found it, we as individuals would be well and safe, secure, and eventually the rest of the world will catch up and forevermore live in peace. 
But the problem is Jesus is saying it doesn't matter what the outward appearance is. It doesn't matter if, we, if one appears to be wealthy, if one appears to be famous, to be someone. And there's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? It doesn't matter how enviable a, a character or personality may be, our desire to match that personality may be. In the end, it will perish but the soul abides forever, Luke 12 and 15. And yet here in these few verses, Jesus doesn't pronounce the people blessed because they are poor in material goods. There's nothing wrong with material goods and substance and even wealth, untold wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what he's condemning. What he's saying is don't put your whole trust in your wealth and in your substance, <coughs> in your personality, in your fame. Because it's all going to come to nothing. congregation not long before I got there the minister previous minister was doing a funeral service and he, uh, for people outside of the church and um, he didn't realize that the undertakers whilst the lid was on top of the casket he didn't realize the undertakers hadn't screwed it down and during the service totally unannounced he paused to move on to a hymn or whatever it was and in that pause about six people got up and started parading around and around the casket the coffin and uh, <laughs> Steve was totally stunned he just didn't know what to say what to do because he wasn't expecting it they walked around about six times and then two people lifted the lid off the casket and then more people got up from the congregation and brought forward bottles of whiskey, cigarettes, beer, all sorts of things. A coat. Put them all in the coffin on top of the body. Put the lid back on and the undertakers came up and screwed the lid down. So people went back and sat down. And Steve thought, what next? You see, our wealth, the things we love, you can't take them with you. And that's Jesus' point. What happens when you're bereft of everything? What happens when everything is taken away? What then do you believe? What then is your hope and your substance? The spirit that Jesus wants us to see is found in Luke 18 and verse 13 where uh, the man comes and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, that's, that's a heart that's been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, that's been sealed by the Holy Spirit into eternity and into eternal life. It's what the psalmist was talking about this morning as we read in Psalm 1. Blessed, here it is again, 
except that it comes from the Hebrew. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In that illustration of the bits and pieces going into the, into the coffin, what are they doing? They're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I look on with amazement. You see some so-called famous people, some of them infamous. They televise parts of the funeral service. And the grass of killers in this state is praised. You've ever noticed that? Their evil acts are never mentioned. The counsel of the ungodly. The believer does not stand in the path of sinners. That is, he doesn't walk in their ways. He doesn't sit where the scoffers sit. But his delight is in the word of God. And in that word he meditates day and night. Do you meditate? Do you read the scriptures? How long is it since you've opened them personally? And just pondered them. You see the heart that's been changed and sealed into eternity by the Holy Spirit is one that will pursue a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Who will cry out, Lord be merciful to me a sinner. And it's this one thing, this condition of the human soul that marks the difference between worldliness and heavenliness between those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who do not. Islam is a very easy religion to follow. All you've got to do is follow the law. But to live by grace is difficult, isn't it? And yet it's this mark of grace that sets the believer and natural man apart between the earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God. It's a stark difference. There are many good and decent people in this world who will not share eternity because they simply do not believe. It's got nothing to do with their personal character or maturity. first thing a sinner will do is acknowledge their sin and that's the whole issue here in this third verse blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who have laid aside their own strength their own wisdom their own might whatever it might be and said lord forgive me for i am a sinner the converted heart is one that sees the lord jesus christ enthroned as lord and and we tremble They are of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look and on him who is poor 
and a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who is the one that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look at in eternity and look upon with favor? The one who has a contrite spirit, the one who is poor. Poverty of spirit. Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. He's going to look upon the one who trembles at the word of God. The world places the emphasis in its worldview not on poverty of spirit, but on self-belief, on self-reliance, on self-confidence and self-expression. Our society has confidence in the power of education, for argument's sake. It has confidence in the power of science, that is, knowledge. And our society depends on those things, doesn't it? Western society in particular depends upon those things in order to save humanity and the earth. When we hear the environmental movements, whether political or otherwise, they're out to save the earth. They want to keep parts of the the world that have been untouched by man. They want to keep it in a so-called pristine state, but it's not in a pristine state since the fall. never has been. And we cannot save the world. The green movement, uh, political movement... It cannot save the world if we look back and read the scriptures. The Lord says the reason I died on the cross is to save my people because there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The old has gone and is going to go. I will make all things new and the only ones living on it will be those who believe in me. world has confidence in education and science and numerous other things open rejoice hymn book if you would to 403 it's the hymn jesus lover of my soul look at the lines just a few lines as we go through this verse 2 other refuge have i none all my hope in you i see Cover my, in the last two lines, cover my defenceless head with the shadow of your wing. Do you ever hear our politicians plead in that way? We don't. Look at verse 3 at the bottom, last three lines. I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin am I. You know, that's not a message you hear in much of the Christian church today. Lord, you're full of truth and grace. And yet we hear people stand up and say, the Lord caused the bushfires, the Lord caused that, and on and on it goes. But here we sing, God's people sing, you are full of grace and truth. I'm all unrighteousness, false and full of sin I am. Look at verse 4. Plenteous grace with you is found, grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound and make and keep me pure within. The hymn 586, look at that. 
just two lines in it. This is the hymn, uh, When Peace Like a River, written by a man, Horatio Spafford, who lost his four daughters at sea. And he went on a ship to that place en route to England, and the ship stopped on the spot where the his daughter's ship floundered. He lost four daughters, and out of that experience he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river flows all through my life, when, sea, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Look at verse 3. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Is that your confidence? Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you lost members of your family in such tragedy, and I'm not suggesting it's easy, but could you speak these words in confidence, in praise of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or would bitterness arise up against him? The believer is one who believes he is helpless. Words like unrighteousness and sin and hell. In many churches, Protestant churches today, is missing. That is not the gospel. You cannot have salvation apart from Jesus Christ through grace through faith. You cannot have salvation in Jesus Christ. You cannot have eternity in anyone or through anyone unless first we come to the point where we acknowledge our position before the Lord Jesus Christ. All I am all unrighteousness. Romans Nine, uh, Romans 10 verse 9 and if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved you see that's the gospel it doesn't go on and say if you confess with your mouth yes if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead yes that's good you're almost there you've got one foot in but you've got to do this you've got to speak in tongues you've got to manifest some spirit of the some gift of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be a member of this church or that church. You have to do this. That's not the gospel. Likewise, when we detract from Jesus Christ and we deny that we are unrighteous, we make another gospel. And we demand that the Lord Jesus Christ, when we stand before him in judgment, that he would let us in. Because I'm a good person anyway. I deserve it. I haven't noticed it recently, but there was a series of advertisements. Uh, everybody seemed to jump on the bandwagon just not all that long ago on the television. Uh, the bottom line of the advert was that you deserve this. 
Too many people attend church today thinking they're going to enter into heaven because they deserve it. Jesus says no. Unless you see your sin, acknowledge it, and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you cannot be saved. John chapter 14, we all know that, don't we? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I preached on that at a funeral once. Church was packed and there was a a minister sitting about three rows from the front. And I could see the blood pressure rising as I preached on this verse. And after the service, that person attacked me. How dare you preach such rubbish? And she threatened me with legal action through the vilification laws. How does she expect? (laughs) I've given it away, haven't I? How does she expect people to know eternity when they would deny the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? Just very quickly, turn to Revelation or listen to these words. Revelation chapter 3, and I'll finish with this. Revelation chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is the um, uh, Jesus uh, giving a message to the church of Laodicea. He says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. You see the pride and the arrogance? They do not need God. So he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You don't know that you're wretched. Inwardly, spiritually, the condition of your soul is that you are wretched, you are miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 9. Again, this is the message to the church in in, uh, Smyrna. Jesus says, I know your works. I know the tribulation and the poverty that you're suffering, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Are we going to be numbered amongst those whom the Lord will vomit out, or will we receive a crown of life? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Amen.